all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. And no rain in the forecast over the next couple of days in Greenville, that is. And the temperatures are going to inch back up a couple of degrees above normal. The average high for today is 91 degrees. And I think we're going to climb to uh, the 93, 94 degree range today. Looks like more of the same. Sunny in mid-90s on Thursday. And as we kick off the weekend, high pressure still in control. We've got sunshine and the temperatures will stay above average 93 Friday. I'm David Maddox for MPB. Hello, Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, full of allergies, and here for you this week on Southern Remedy, the original ones. It's all things considered today with our special guest, someone we all want to know, a clinical psychologist. I'll introduce him shortly. And if you have any problems or issues about uh, how to get along with folks or related issues, give us a call. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 7464 or send us an email at Remedy at org. We're talking about whatever you want to talk about today with a special guest. We'll be right back after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Donald Trump is pledging more investment in the military and veterans' assistance in a speech to Philadelphia's Union League this hour. He and Democratic rival Hillary Clinton are expected to double down on their messages over national security when they take part separately in the NBC-hosted Commander-in-Chief Forum tonight in New York. An opposition group in Syria is out with a transition plan that, among other things, demands that President Bashar al-Assad step down after six months and calls for elections after two years. The High Negotiations Committee presented its proposal in London. The head of the group, Riyadh Hijab, says Syria will need a transitional governing body and then elections to be supervised by the U.N., While the U.S. favors Assad's resignation, Russia, Syria's ally, has argued that Assad should have a say in Syria's political future. Meanwhile, NPR's Alice Fordham reports this week's chlorine gas attack in Aleppo, Syria, claimed at least one life overnight. Activists and doctors say the chlorine was dropped by a Syrian regime plane on an opposition-held area of Aleppo. A doctor told NPR the chlorine attack affected 100 people, mostly women and children. The regime denies using chemical weapons, but a report by the the UN and the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons last month found that on at least two occasions they had done so. NPR's Alice Fordham reporting. President Obama is continuing his historic trip to Laos as the first sitting U.S. president to visit the small Southeast Asian country. NPR's Alicia reports the president is aiming for closer ties with Laos. Laos is a communist country, but increasingly open to investment from outside its borders. To pay tribute to the Lao culture, the president visited the northern city of Luang Prabang, where he toured a 16th century Buddhist temple, shopped at stalls along the Mekong River, and enjoyed drinking straight out of a coconut. 
In an afternoon town hall with young Southeast Asians, Obama said he hoped engagement with Southeast Asian nations would grow over time. So that we have a very mature uh, and deep relationship in all areas. The president will attend the final day of Asia summits in Laos's capital Thursday before returning to the states. Elise Hugh, NPR News, VNTN, Laos. Apple's expected to release yet another version of the iPhone today. NPR's Alina Seliuk has more. Next year, the iPhone will turn 10 years old, so the speed and scope of dramatic overhauls of the smartphone have slowed. The new version, likely to be called iPhone 7, broadly isn't expected to look tremendously different. Observers are predicting a phone that's maybe a bit thinner and faster than its predecessor, maybe with a fancier camera. But the big suspense is whether Apple will do away with the headphone jack, steering users toward Bluetooth headphones. It's been a long-running speculation suggested to make the phone leaner and more waterproof. Critics argue it could make the phone harder to sell, especially if expensive new adapters are needed to continue using regular headphones. Alina Seljuk, NPR News. This is NPR. Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein will be charged with trespassing and vandalism. Authorities in North Dakota accuse Stein of spray-painting construction equipment during a protest against the Dakota Access Pipeline. The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe has been fighting to halt construction of a section of the pipeline that tribal leaders argue would violate sacred grounds. Jury selection begins today in the case of defendants accused of conspiring to occupy a wildlife refuge in eastern Oregon. Oregon Public Broadcasting's Conrad Wilson reports prosecutors dropped charges against one of the defendants. Federal prosecutors charged Pete Santilli and 25 others with conspiring to impede federal employees from doing their jobs at the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Oregon's high desert. Santilli is a right-wing internet radio host who broadcasts hours of live coverage during the occupation. Tom Cohen is Santilli's attorney. You know, we're really grateful that the prosecutors, uh, they at least uh, had enough questions in their own mind here about Pete's innocence that they did not feel comfortable proceeding. Santilli still faces charges in Nevada for a 2014 armed standoff between ranchers and the Bureau of Land Management. For NPR News, I'm Conrad Wilson in Portland. Signaling more robust hiring, the government is out with a report that shows employers advertise a record number of open jobs in July. This is the Federal Reserve prepares to meet in a couple of weeks to decide whether the economy is strong enough to again raise interest rates. U.S. stocks are mixed with the Dow off more than 40 points. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from the financial services firm of Raymond James, offering personalized wealth management advice and banking and capital markets expertise, all with a commitment to putting clients' financial well-being first. Learn more at RaymondJames.com. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hello, welcome to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And you are listening to Southern Remedy, the original old one. And we're always here to talk about whatever's on your mind. 
I do bring on guests and friends at regular intervals that I think you would like to meet, and uh, I have done so today. So if you have any any questions you want to uh, ask, give us a call. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us a, an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Let me tell you, before we get started, the allergy season is here. And I told, recommended to some folks who called in earlier uh, uh, in the season to start your allergy antihistamine early. And one of the non-sedatives ones like Claritin or Zyrtec or Allegra, because they don't work as well uh, once the season gets rolling. And I didn't do that. I'm late. So I am plugged up. But ready to start on the next step, which is a topical nasal steroid. And so I've continued my late-to-start antihistamine once a day at night and adding on my topical nasal steroid. And there are two of them, uh, two or th- two of them now over-the-counter that we used to have by prescription, topical nasal steroids. And uh, the one I like the better is called Nasacort. But the other one is fine. The, the nasocort is the one that sticks in your nose and doesn't run down the back of your throat, make your throat sore. So if you want to know about allergy or anything else, we'll talk to you about that today. If you give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'm here today with Dr. Manning, who is um, uh, Dr. Ed Manning, who is a professor of psychology and psychiatry in the department of neurology uh and i may have all that messed up is that close well professor of neurology and psychiatry in the neurology department that's right and uh, i send him lots of patients including some relatives for evaluation from time to time and i'm going to refer myself soon uh he is an expert diagnostician so far as just about everything you're interested in uh in the area of brain function he is a neuropsychologist, so he tests uh, kids with learning problems. He uh, checks people after automobile accidents to see if they have any kind of uh, neurological and thought or reactive process that would make it unsafe for them to drive. Kids with de- developmental uh, delays, um, epilepsy, uh, older people. He does a lot of uh, cognitive uh, evaluations for people who may have dementia or other forms of memory disorders and uh, Parkinson's disease, strokes, traumatic brain injuries, just about everything you can think of. And of course, uh, the standard is uh, psychological problems like depression and other problems as well. So, man, your hands are full, aren't you? Well, I stay busy, but I enjoy it. So what is the number one um, psychological problem that you see people about? I guess it's uh, mood issues, right? I would say so. I'd say anxiety probably underlies a lot of other problems that come in. So even if somebody comes in concerned about their memory function, it's not uncommon at all to see a component of anxiety that's making the memory problem even worse. Well, as someone who sees a lot of people who are older now, as well as I'm a med-ped, so I see a spectrum, but... I see a lot of older people because that's our largest patient population. Uh, one of the issues that I have to deal with as a provider is the whole issue of is 
this problem caused by their medicine hmm. or is it caused by an underlying anxiety disorder? So I see a lot of people are taking, you know, St. John's wort, Valium, uh, Ambien, uh, antidepressants of one variety or the other. And I don't know sometimes whether it's better just take them all off and start over again because people seem to be over-medicated. A lot of my colleagues in medicine tell me one of the first things they do when they see a patient is withdraw some medicines and then assess and then go from there. So you're exactly right. Right. So if you want to talk about uh, behavioral issues, mood disorders, or anything neuropsychological or toenail fungus, whatever's on your mind, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our lines are all open now for you. one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send us an email if there's something that you just don't want to talk about online at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. So um, why are people so anxious today? Is it is it that they were always anxious or they just talk about it now? Uh, I think there's probably more, more knowledge about it, but people do talk about it more and there are more avenues for it's very easy to go online and see get a lot of information and the more information you get the more you think about it then you start thinking about yourself and so it's a it is a process that takes place so what are the red flags that i as a consumer should look for that would mean that i need to see somebody about anxiety what what issues uh you know how do you know who needs to see somebody and who who doesn't well we all have some component of worry and we all catastrophize about little events that happen and so forth. It's when those things really preoccupy you to the point that it messes up your quality of life and it adversely in, impacts your relationships with other people and affects your work. That's when it's time to do something about it. Right. And school anxiety seems to be one that's a, a real issue right now. Um, the anxiety starts in, in very young children, doesn't it? It certainly does. And um, are kids who uh, have school anxiety and uh, are very anxious, do they tend to have anxiety problems that persist into adulthood, or is that just a one-time deal? Well, some people are sort of predisposed to be anxious, and so they may manifest it in different ways later in life. Some some kids, if they, it depends on their exposure. If they've never been in a formal setting and suddenly they're thrust into kindergarten or first grade, they may have an anxiety that manifests, and then it goes away, and it's not a continuous problem for them. Hmm. So what are the red flags? Well, if you have a child who uh, – I had a child I saw in Oxford when I was in training who the mother would drop him off at the front door of the school, and he would beeline for the back door and run out the back door to the playground and keep going. So th- clearly he needed help right away. If it's if it gets in the way of his uh, child's ability to sit and listen and attend, it needs to be addressed. I had a cat like that one time somebody <laughs> gave me. I always wanted a Persian cat. I have this strange – anybody who has asthma like I do – has an affinity for cats because that's the worst thing you can have if you have allergies. So I finally got somebody to give me a Persian cat. I was so proud of this cat, big fluff ball. I took the cat in the, and as soon as I got in the front door, she jumped, scratched me, jumped out of my hand and went out the back door. So I, and I never saw the cat again. (laughs) So I think uh, maybe that, maybe that was the ultimate anxiety (laughs) response. Listen, we got folks calling to hear, to talk to professor uh, of neurology and psychology, Dr. Ed Manning, uh, who has been with us before. And many of you probably remember him. He's uh, the kind of guy you'd like to talk to if you're going out of your head. 
And uh, so I thought you would – this is a good time to talk, especially with the political situation the way it is. We needed some kind of uh, stress management. Let's go to Frank and Jackson. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Good morning. This is a very interesting topic, and I know the uh, the resident host of the show is tired of me hearing me say this, but a comment was made that some kids seem to be predisposed to having issues. Um, now, African Americans are widely publicized as being predisposed to hypertension, health issues, anxiety, crime, low achievement in schools. And strangely enough, Native Africans don't have these same predispositions. Hmm. Now, there was a study done in Harvard uh, on their mind-body genomics division that documents that the effect of constant stress alters the DNA of people and that this altered DNA is transferred generation to generation. They seem to think that the altered DNA is a... Uh, survival uh, reaction to constant stress. What is the medical, psychological, psychiatric community doing to address this imposed, not predisposed, but imposed weakness in the African-American DNA? Okay, Frank, Frank. Frank, I'm going to correct you on one thing you said. We are never in the least bit hesitant to take your call. You always ask great questions, so keep them coming. We love you, all right? Let's 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 see what he does with that one. Well, I think it's an interesting question because most clinicians like me spend our days with individuals who come into the clinic, and we try our best to diagnose a condition and offer recommendations for different levels of management or treatment. So I'm not involved in looking at epidemiological sort of things or programmatic changes in the community, but I think I'm going to say somebody should be, and I'm not sure who the right person or persons is for that, but I think it's a wonderful idea to look at it at that at that level. Well, we know that uh, anybody who's impoverished, regardless of whether they're black, yellow, green, or red, uh, has a level of stress that is higher than those who are not impoverished. And I'm not aware of any data that shows – I don't know anything about the DNA data. Frank is always 10 miles ahead of us. He's on the Internet finding information. Um, I don't know about the DNA thing. I wouldn't be surprised if chronic stress didn't affect uh, – it certainly affects reproductive ability and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't have some kind of effect on genetics. But living in poverty itself has been shown to have significant effects on – mood and behavior and so forth. And I know you see that in your practice. Oh, definitely so. And uh, along with that, there seems to be a correlation between lower socioeconomic status and the continuous uh, availability of television and uh, such that so a lot of kids are almost raised by TV while their parents are busy doing other things to provide for the family. And that kind of continuous environmental stimuli actually is not good for younger developing brains. Right. So, uh, Frank, I, I think there, I think there, are, for the first time, people are aware of the fact of chronic stress that in African American uh, underserved populations and in other underserved populations uh, in our society that that is an issue, and that's why poverty is now a social determinant of health. Economic status is one of the ten or twelve social determinants of health that we know that if it's broken. 
you're not going to be a healthy person. So thanks for calling our attention to that, and we appreciate it. You're listening to Southern Remedy. Our special guest today is Dr. Ed Manning, who is a neuropsychologist who knows all kinds of stuff that I don't. So I had him up here. If you want to talk about any kind of psychological or psychiatric issue, you got the man uh, who can can help. And we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We have an open line. Let's go to Lenny in Demopolis. Demopolis is a beautiful town. Thank you. It's very wet lately. <laughs> it's very his- wet and historic. It's really wet or really dry. But, uh, this, this is not about uh, psychiatric issues, but you mentioned nasal, um, the nose sprays for uh-huh. allergies. Mm-hmm. This is a total off-use um, for off-label use. I have um, severe peripheral neuropathy from uh-huh. a frozen vertebra pressing on my spinal cord, and it's horrible. I was using a duragesic uh, cream patch, but that irritated my skin. I looked online. I talked to my pharmacist. It found this, it's a new thing of people spraying Flonase nasal spray on their skin, letting it dry, and then putting the patch on. And it has completely gotten rid of the irritation, and I can use the patch again. Isn't that amazing? And, and the pharmacist knew about it. So, Well, I didn't, and I, I prescribe that stuff every day, and it's great to hear. So <clears throat> that's a, what's happening is the contact or irritant contact dermatitis that you're getting from the glue stuff that sticks that on there <clears throat> is being inhibited by the topical steroid. Now, fortunately, the topical steroid in there is fairly weak, uh, but it, it if you use it more than the prescribed frequency, which is two sprays in each side of the nose once or twice a day, you're going to get in trouble. But I don't think you're probably having to use it that much, are you? No, it's just a spray or two before I put a, a new patch on, which is every 72 hours. So Another Alabama gift to the people of Mississippi. <laughs> Thank you for calling. Keep it up. <laughs> Bye-bye. Let's go to DeSoto County and Susan. Hey, Susan. Good morning. What's happening? Well, I have a brain injury, and I was getting um, neurofeedback, and I was also getting uh, something called heart math. And I was wondering if Dr. Manning knew someplace where I could get neurofeedback in Mississippi. Okay, so did your injury come from an automobile accident or a fall or a stroke or what? It came from a series of transient ischemic attacks related to toxic chemical exposures, mostly uh, volatile, let me think, volatile organic compounds like styrene, benzene, formaldehyde, mm-hmm. limonene, xylene. And what is your what are your what is your present limitation? Thinking, well, memory, memory, memory and um, attention deficit, and um, dyslexia. And I used to be a lawyer, but I'm not now. I'm 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 on disability. Oh my goodness! I'm sorry. But the other thing is the uh, the neurofeedback helped me uh, keep my heart keep my heart stronger too and it also helped me with balance and um uh, it didn't it didn't help with the memory i don't acquire new information but it, it helped a lot with um with add and dyslexia and things like that okay and- you've given us a whole lot of great stuff to talk about so hang on and let's see what he says and and we'll go from there okay thank you all right so 
there's a lot of people selling stuff online to make you think better, retain your uh, abilities not to get prevent uh, dementia and and feedback is one of these things. Uh, there's all kinds of games you can buy, download apps on your phone. I mean, it's mind-boggling. People come in uh, to see me with their phone, and they've got 50 app, apps. They wonder why their phone's so slow. That's the first <laughs> thing. Uh, and, and I don't know anything about that, but I look at it, and I see all these apps. Uh, what's going on? So neurofeedback is a, a type of biofeedback, and biofeedback has been around for a long time. There are plenty of studies showing that, say, thermal feedback, where you train yourself to increase temperature in your fingers will actually be a very beneficial sort of thing for migraine headaches. So you can do that? So you can actually do that. You can train yourself to increase the blood flow to your fingers. It's a really interesting sort of thing where if you, if when you hook somebody up to it and if you tell them try to increase the temperature in your finger, you you get the opposite effect where they get a decrease in that. It's a a sympathetic reaction. Uh, if you have them calm and simply observe, they can eventually train themselves. They're using the feedback they get to train themselves to do it. Uh, neurofeedback is another kind of where you get some kind of brainwave activity that you're measuring, and the idea is that the more continuous the practice is and there are different kind of packages and software po- programs and so forth, it might have some benefit. Now, this is an area of uh, semi-controversy. There are some psychologists and other practitioners in different parts of the country who claim miraculous recovery and cures and and improvements with that. And a lot of people with anecdotal tales, I did this and it helped me greatly and so forth. And yet the controlled studies are not really always in line with that. So some people, I always tell patients if they're really interested in it, as as the scientist side of me says, it's not really truly credible, but if you know that and you want to try it, certainly that's it's because there's not really a risk associated with it. And some people do so they derive some benefit from that. And as you said, there are all sorts of things online now. There are all sorts of brain training programs. There are some that advertise continuously and others that are free and easy to access. What's clear there is the more you practice with those, you do get better at those games. What's not clear is how well it transfers to the real world. So you might get really good at uh, paying attention and getting your scores up on a particular game, but you might not remember where you put the coffee the night before to make the coffee the next day and so forth. Yeah, that's what my limited general medical reading has uh, suggested, that the memory part is the most difficult to fix. Exactly. You can calculate quicker. You can Your brain fog can be a b- little bit less, but the memory piece is just tough. But it's good to do. So we, we years ago, we thought that brains were relatively set at a certain age and nothing happened beyond that besides growing older and deterioration. But brains are very plastic, even in 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond. So if you exercise, for example, people who regularly exercise increase the size of their hippocampus, a part of the brain that is very important for memory. People who train themselves to you, you learn a foreign language, you learn to play the piano, you do other things, brain challenging games. There are MRI studies showing change in brain structure. You can actually increase the thickness of your cortical mantle with regular meditation. So exercise like that, cognitive challenges are really good. It's just not always clear how well some of those translate back to the real world. So uh, I guess your message to Susan is keep on keeping on. Try these and the ones that work, stick with them and dump the others till you find the one that works as good as anything else exactly right and that's the same thing we say with people want to try nutraceuticals and other things as long as they're safe there's a little harm in using them susan we want you to get back in practice 
So keep on keeping on, and we appreciate your call. We'll be back in just a minute, and we're going to Gulfport and Tupelo and Mobile, also known as Mobile. Uh, and if you'll give us a call, we'll go to your house. We're at one eight seven seven MPB ring with neuropsychologist Dr. Ed Manning. We'll be right back. Support for MPB comes from the Pediatric and Congenital Heart Center of Alabama at Children's of Alabama, a cardiovascular care center for children in Birmingham, Alabama. More at childrensal.org slash heart. Coming up this season on MPB's At Issue. What should customers be on the hook for? What were the mistakes made? The customer should not be paying for mistakes. That little bit of virus is enough to make you really, really sick and in some cases kill people. All lives do matter, but black lives are the ones that are being systematically gunned down. Join us for At Issue, Mississippi's only statewide TV news program, every Friday at 7.30 p.m., starting September 9th on MPB. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, everybody. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, your host. Here with my special guest, Dr. Ed Manning, and we're just going through whatever you want to talk about having to do with the brain or brain function or whatever else you come up with. We'll do our best to give you some information as best we can. Uh, I wanted to mention something that is very, very uh, important, I think, um, that, and something you may be interested in. The University of Mississippi Medical Center in Southern Remedy here at MPB are offering to provide free community health screenings at churches and civic organizations on the weekends now through April throughout the state of Mississippi. Health screenings measure blood pressure, blood glucose, and other indicators of health and provide basic dietary counseling to those who are interested. This effort represents an attempt to identify Mississippians with undiagnosed health problems to include pre-diabetes and pre-hypertension and get them to care. If you know of individuals or organizations who may be interested in this offer, and by the way, we sent a team of three trained medical students out to your church or your place to do this, please contact Sarah Parker, Sarah Parker at Sparker, S-P-A-R-K-E-R-3, at umc.edu or Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org or call 601-201-8190. And I'll, I'll repeat that again 
at the end of the program. Dr. Whitney Herring, who is a uh, pediatric endocrinologist, will be here next week to talk about obesity in children and obesity in general. And it's going to be open mic on September the 7th. So we got a lot scheduled and hope you'll be joining us for those programs every Wednesday at 11. Let's go to Gulfport. Hey, John. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. I appreciate y'all taking my call. Thanks to you. I just wanted to uh, put something out to Dr. Manning and get his thoughts on uh, where this particular field is going. I have a 13-year-old son who um, has been suffering from obsessive-compulsive disorder for probably the last year, and he's uh, seeing a psychiatrist and going through therapy and is being uh, medicated with um, uh, a, a brand of Zoloft. Uh, kind of a, to help uh, prevent his body from either uptaking uh, serotonin or keeping the serotonin levels at a certain uh, level. But uh, my question is, where where could one go to find uh, a therapist or a person who is more qualified to deal with uh, OCD and OCD-related issues? Because I don't know that we're making a whole heck of a lot of headway in what my son is dealing with. And coming from my generation, and I know perhaps y'all's generation, you know, my grandfather used to say, uh, you know, if his hind end would hold out, he'd mind, you know. Yeah, let me ask you Let me ask you just a qu- uh, couple of questions that help uh, focus his response because he's going to be uncomfortable a- asking you these questions. <clears throat> you're obviously unhappy or questioning the care that you're getting. Um, and he's, does the psychiatrist that he's working with have a clinical psychologist who does the counseling or does he do it himself? No, it's a, it's a therapist that uh, is a, is a part of a group. Uh, Uh, it's a huge group. I won't go into the name or name any of that stuff, but it it is a huge, huge, uh, group that the place is over, overflowing with folks. So Uh primarily his input is primarily to write the prescription and then the, my son sees a therapist in the same goes, group in the same group exactly uh-huh okay so um there are multiple therapists in this group and he got assigned to one is that basically the story yes sir uh-huh and just where our audience knows a little bit about how this shows up i, I i'm sure people will pick up your voice so i don't want want you to say too much but it would be helpful um, to our audience to know how this showed up. Did he have hand-washing issues, or how did you first know this was a problem? Well, it started, uh, we, we recently relocated to this area about a year ago, and when he was growing up, uh, he, you know, never really had any health problems other than uh, occasional bouts with his um, strep throat. Um, and then we found out later that perhaps that strep had something to do with with uh, the tendency for OCD, maybe, maybe not. But he would always have a, a situation where he would have a clean couch, like his, uh, where he sat after he would take a bath, he would go and sit on that couch. And, you know, you could sit on the couch with him if you had taken a bath. I mean, it was kind of adorable at first, and we didn't think anything about it. it was mm-hmm. just that why, would our, why would we not be happy that our son was wanting to be clean and, mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of stuff. But then after the move... Uh, prior to the move, he was having some obsessive thoughts, and then that graduated into uh, issues of cleanliness, well, having to wash his hands, mm-hmm. not being able to touch doorknobs, not being mm-hmm. able to touch, you know, 
turn the water on, just couldn't turn it off. John, uh, that was that's a wonderful gift. Thank you for uh, explaining that because a lot of people sort of ignore some of these behaviors, and then these kids have school problems and all kinds of other things. So I'll shut up and let him talk about this. But just having you explain that's a wonderful gift to the people who are listening. So there are several issues here. Number one, providers, satisfaction or not satisfaction. I tell everybody that listens to this show, if there's the slightest question about the care or the diagnosis, get a second opinion. And uh, if we can't get you one at UMC or in your community, we'll recommend someone else out, out of state. So you don't have to say that. I, I, I know you're going to second that, but um uh, uh, what what is the state of the art in dealing with this problem now well i i agree completely with second opinion i also as a clinician i welcome and i tell patients very early on if you ever question what we're doing if you disagree i want you to come to me and say i don't like this this is not working because that gives us a chance to really communicate better and try to fix it but again second opinions are a wonderful thing too so uh it's it's an interesting history that you provide because a lot of obsessive compulsive routines sometimes will start out as an adaptive sort of process to some sort of health issue and then become a maladaptive process, which essentially defines the condition. And it is an anxiety-based sort of thing where he probably gets some degree of reassurance with the cleanliness rituals and the avoidance of certain things. Uh, from the from the treatment component, so two parts, one, the medication, which you've, which you've mentioned, but the other is the psychological treatment and the big phrase these days is evidence-based treatment for medicine, certainly, but also for psychology. So there are some evidence-based treatments for obsessive compulsive disorder that address the anxiety component with what's called an exposure response prevention um, sort of thing. Um, so what I would do is talk to the people there or see about a second opinion for the for the psychological component. You could always contact the Mississippi Psychological Association which has a listserv statewide, and ask for recommendations for somebody near you who provides treatment for that condition. That Mississippi would be one. Psychological, is that, uh, what's their web address? M, I believe it's mpa.org. Uh, uh, you, you can, can just Google You it. can Google Mississippi Psychological Association. Uh-huh. And uh, by, on, along the same lines, if you're not pleased with the medication component, I'm relatively certain the Psychiatric Association has a similar service to it. Now, UMC has this new program for developmental and psychological programs that's run over in pediatrics now. Mm -hmm. That's another option. I forget the score or something like that. Well, the K-Center. K-Center, yeah. The Dr. Elkin and Dr. Buttress have. It's a really good program for identifying kids with different kind of conditions and then getting them to the right practitioners on campus or in the community mm-hmm. for treatment. So that's a, another place, the K-A-Y? C-A-Y. C-A-Y Center. You can Google that mm-hmm. as well. <clears throat> and that would that's that can be a one-time consult type of thing. You bring your records and so forth, and they say, I agree with the diagnosis. The treatment is appropriate or inappropriate. But the bottom line is you need another you need to have a serious conversation as a parent with a, your kid's therapist and tell that person that you you have some concerns, have a dialogue and if you don't get that sorted out, move forward with someone else. So I hope that's helpful, John. Thank you again for sharing that and we will uh, be happy to send you any information that we have on this topic if you'll send us an email at mpbonline.org, Southern Remedy mpbonline.org. Let's go to Mobile and Daylene. Is it Daylene? Do I have your name right? 
No, Darlene. Oh, uh, sorry, we left out the R. <laughs> uh, forgive us, forgive us. That is all right. Uh, what's your question? My question is depression. Uh, I started about uh, somewhere around May getting a little bit depressed, but I didn't realize it. You know, you never know it until it sneaks up on you. Yeah. And about the same time, we moved into our house that my husband has been working on a long time, and I have no uh, whatever of having fun or doing anything to get the house tidied up and together and whatever. Mm-hmm. So and now about, I almost feel like I've got, and I've never played with these terms, is ADD. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't concentrate with anything. I'll write a list of two or three things in the fourth line. I'll say, do one of the above. Any one of them. Do one. <laughs> so, so are you having any crying spells? No, uh, now I have been depressed before a couple of times, and when I am depressed, I cannot cry. I wish I could. Mm-hmm. It would really relieve me to be able to cry. You know, that's a good um, medication, too. All right, so let, let me just make sure I got this straight. You should be happy with this new house and yes. energetic, and you're not. Right. And you feel guilty about that because you're... Your husband uh, is all excited. He spent all this time, and you have yes. a back, and you have nothing that makes you happy right now. Just nothing seems to make you happy, and you have a previous history of having some depression in the past. Is that the story? Right. Okay, Correct. good. So, what, what's the, what's the answer to that one? So, w- there could be a lot of things, and I need to ask a lot, a, a number of questions to try to zero in on the right things. But one of the things that may have happened is simply the change in schedule, routine, and environment. A lot of times when you take somebody out of a home where they've been for years, where they know where everything is without even thinking about it, and they have their routine and so forth, and you put them in somewhere else, even if it's a place they really wanted to go to, there's a period of adjustment to make that place your own and kind of put your stamp on it. And so that may be that your brain is just sort of overwhelmed with where do I start, what do I do to make this place my own. So it may be something as simple as that to make some very basic plans, to do some things to to put your stamp on certain parts of the house, start small and kind of build on that. Uh, another thing that happens is if you get very busy doing things and you neglect what I refer to as productive leisure or things that you do for fun, you, 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 another kind of schedule change in terms of reinforcements, it's very important to do something fun every once in a while, uh, a way to kind of prime the battery, if you will, to, to, to feel good. So, Well, let me tell you what would happen if, if uh, a darling came to me. I would uh, First thing I would do is take a history like this, and then I would get a bunch of blood work, mm. and uh, it would probably all be normal. And I'd look at her thyroid, I would look at her hormones and her blood count and so forth and so on. And at that point, I'd put her on a SSRI, one of these new antidepressants, and wish her good luck and let her and tell her, let me know if that doesn't work. I don't think that would be the optimal standard of care right now. It's changed, hasn't it? So back to the issue of evidence-based care. And yes, and so it's the, the literature says that the right medication plus the right kind of psychological treatment together produces the best outcome. So you're right on point with addressing possible physical causes and underlying causes for depression and addressing that with an antidepressant, but doing things to uh, look at the more behavioral psychological component and doing something with, with, a, with a counselor or a psychologist who's trained in those evidence-based methods would be a very okay so i'm going to ask you the the difficult question i asked you the last time 
we've got preachers who are doing uh, counseling. We've got RNs who are doing counseling. We've got nurse practitioners who are doing counseling. We have PhDs who are doing counseling. We have MDs who are doing counseling. We have licensed social workers who are doing counseling. And there may be others I don't know of, but they're all doing it. So which one does she need to go to? Well, I will acknowledge my bias as a <laughs> licensed psychologist, but I think you need to go to a psychologist or at least someone who says they are trained in evidence-based procedures for that particular condition. So just because you're a licensed person, you're licensed to preach, you're licensed to do social work, you're licensed to do whatever, it doesn't mean that necessarily. Now, there are people in all those areas that are very qualified. Exactly. I, don't want, I know ministers who have master's degrees in counseling that are, that are really good and others. Uh, but the public has a lot of trouble figuring out who, who knows what they're talking about. Well, that's true, because you assume since they have a shingle out or an advertisement that they must know what they're doing. There's there's counseling and then there's counseling. I think all across all of those disciplines, people probably do a really good job of listening well and trying to help you understand what might be going on. And there's a lot of value in that sort of insight. But evidence-based sort of treatment, usually a cognitive behavioral procedure, usually leave the session with a lot of homework to do, things mm-hmm. that you have to do between sessions. And that's where a lot of the behavior change and the change in terms of thinking and so forth. And the data clearly show that the combo or are, are, are additive exactly and, right. and that just to take a pill is probably not enough. Mm-hmm. Darlene, are we close on giving you what you need? Well, um, I don't know. Now, I have an internist who gave me my uh, medication for depression, Sertraline. Uh-huh. And I've been taking that, and then I take Tracidone to help me sleep. Yeah, well, you're, what you're doing is treating That's, half of the problem. Okay. You so need to what? get to a, a behavioral specialist, behavioral either specialist. behavioral specialist, either a psychiatrist or a licensed clinical psychologist. I always send people that are not crazy, uh, and that excludes everybody in my family, <laughs> to the uh, to the clinical psychologist first and let that person refer to the psychiatrist because I can't get people to go see psychiatrists unless they really are having you know psychotic stuff. So yeah. you have some licensed uh, counselors, clinical psychologists, and others in Mobile. Mobile has got a lot of health resources right. to do that, and you need to ask yeah. your internist, uh-huh. ask your yeah. internist to refer you to a counselor. He or she will know or should know or should find out who would be the best person to work with him or her on your problem. Okay? Behavioral specialist. Right. A clinical psychologist or a li- other licensed counselor. Okay. Because right. that, that is a trick. The two of those together, the pill and the behavioral counseling, cognitive behavioral therapy, and if somebody will call, we'll talk about it, uh, is what you need to do. I need to move along. Okay. And you, you send us an email if you need further help, okay? All right. And Thank we you. wanna we wanna hear you call back and say everything's great with that new house. Uh, let's go to uh Laurel and Cecilia. Hey Laurel. I mean hey Cecilia and Laurel. <laughs> good good to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. What's going on? I have a sister who is 79 years old, and for the past several months, she's been having trouble with her legs, a lot of pain in her legs. Mm-hmm. And um, her doctor has told her that he believes she has restless leg syndrome. Mm-hmm. 
her legs only bother her from the knees down. And is it true that restless leg syndrome affects the entire leg, sort of from your hips down? And um, what, are, what are some things that can be done for restless leg syndrome? And is acupuncture something that might possibly help? Okay, so restless leg syndrome is a very, very common condition in seniors. It is part of a larger sleep disorder, sleep disorder. And the the people who specialize in taking care of this are sleep certified sleep specialists. These are either pulmonary doctors or psychiatrists and a few general internists that have taken their boards in sleep medicine. Uh, most general internists uh, are very effective in treating this without referral to a speech, uh, to a uh, one of these sleep uh, clinics or sleep specialists because there are certain medications that are very effective in dealing with this. The problem is, is that some of those medications are anti-Parkinsonian drugs and they have a lot of side effects. So... Um, uh, the usual place to start is something like gabapentin, which is usually pretty safe and uh, is an anti-seizure medicine and also is an anti-pain medicine. Uh, you can uh, – f- uh, the, the less restless leg syndrome is a syndrome where you can't keep your legs still. It can be your upper leg, your lower leg, your toenail, whatever. You just can't be still, and, and you can't go to sleep because you're moving all the time. You have this feeling that you got to move, and it keeps people from sleeping. And if they didn't have a sleep disorder to start with, they get one after getting this. So usually uh, we internists start with something like gabapentin. We stay away from benzodiazepines like Valium, which can also help but uh, get hook, people hooked on. And uh, we also make sure there are not other medical problems by doing a physical exam, which any internist is trained to do. So I hope that's helpful, uh, uh, Cecilia. Does pain frequently accompany the restlessness? Uh, A feeling of uh, discomfort that is relieved by movement is frequently said to be pain. But pain itself is not usually... Uh, the major component of this, you can get a peripheral neuropathy, which is a damage to the little bitty nerves in your legs that also will give you uh, a feeling like this. And that's why it's important to have someone who doesn't respond to simple therapy. And by the way, I've never seen anybody with, uh, I've seen a lot, you know, I've had a lot of acupuncturists on the program. I do not think this responds to acupuncture, and I would not start there. It's too serious. Um, But uh, your internist can differentiate very simply between restless leg and peripheral neuropathy. If he has to uh, get an EMG, he can get that done, and it's a, a test that sorts that out. Cecilia, is that where you need to be? Thank you so much for your help. And we appreciate it. And if that isn't enough, send me an email. I'll send you a uh, full disclosure, a whole list of stuff on that problem. Let's go to Georgia and Jimette. Jimette, is that name correct? Uh, Jimmy. Jimmy. Uh, yes. good, good to talk to you. What's going on? Thanks for taking my call. Yes, uh, I have a brother that's 55 years old. He had a stroke. Uh-huh. And uh, all his uh, physical ability is great. 
but he had a memory loss. So I was wondering, I heard you talking earlier about that you can rebuild your memory loss or something. So uh, what I do, I take the call off the air. Thanks for the call. Thank you. So, well, I had some questions, but it would depend upon where exactly the stroke was and then, of course, how long, as in what part of the brain, but also how long ago it was. There is uh, generally going to be a degree of spontaneous recovery from a stroke for about 30 to 60 to 90 days or so forth. And somewhere in, in there, one of his clinicians should have considered rehabilitation as a component of treatment. And if they did not see any kind of motor problems that might need a physical therapist or maybe even an occupational therapist, if they saw some memory difficulty, they likely would have referred to a speech therapist. Uh, if it's been longer than that, another thing to do would be to think about a, somebody local who uh, practices neuropsychology to do a thorough assessment of cognitive abilities, and they can give you some great recommendations for different components for uh, rehabilitation or learning to make some accommodations and so forth. Yeah, I think I, I think that's that's probably if I, as a primary care person, that's what I would do. He needs to uh, an evaluation mm-hmm. needs to be done, and when y'all do those, y'all look at the MRIs, the brain, and figure out what part was damaged because you know what works from where. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. So, again, he could go to that website. What is that website? The, the Mississippi Psychological Association. And and look up uh, where's one close to him. Mm-hmm. And the people to get on that on that list have to be trained and certified or something. That's it's right, not Durham. just a list of random mm-hmm. people. So let's go to Katrina Noxipater. Hey, Katrina. Katrina, are you there? Hey, Katrina. Uh-oh. I think she went to sleep. Let's go to Brand. Uh, well, I guess that's it. Uh, we had uh, one call that we just lost from Brandon, and that was a call about anger and anger management. And so, what uh, what do you do with outburst of anger in your uh, significant other or yourself? Well, I try not to have them, and I hope that my <laughs> wife doesn't have them, uh, and she rarely does, unless it's something I've caused. Uh, one of the a current technique that seems to be very helpful and very simple is is this process of mindfulness and if you which is a kind of a meditation but it's simply being sort of trying to be present in your physically and present mentally and without thinking about all kind of stuff historical and in the future and so forth and usually if you if you can practice that and there are lots of good resources for that it's hard to really be angry when you stay really in the moment, you're focused on yourself and then focused on really trying to attend to the person you're talking to. Yeah, some of us, maybe me, uh, tend to have a trigger temper mm. that, uh, for whatever reason, we were born with. And I guess that means when you're angry, I guess that means you're afraid of something. Is Possibly. that usually the, th- the way it is? So um, so is what what is is mindful is delaying responses to triggers, or is it more than that? For it's, instance, you can just... If if you get angry, your boss talks to you and it makes you mad, you can just sort of listen and not say anything and then think about it before you come back later. Is that the same thing? Some I, I tell patients to think about the anger response kind of like a wave in the ocean. And so you can be aware of it without responding to it. You feel it sort of come on. You feel it hit its peak. But if you pay attention to it enough in that detached way, you can also feel it begin to ebb. And then you realize, oh, I don't ask, I don't have to respond to that just because I was angry. The anger can come and go, and then I can respond to this in a better way. Okay. Is, is there any real reason to psychoanalyze yourself and figure out why that makes you anger, angry, or is it just better just to 
give it some time to cool off. Well, no, both are, if, it, if it's a repetitive sort of thing, it's helpful to try to understand the process and the whys and so forth. It may be something that you are misinterpreting, so it would be a sort of a cognitive distortion on your part, and it may be something where you actually, your boss is doing something that is going to make pretty much anybody angry, and you need to learn an assertive way to communicate with them to resolve it without it escalating to some other problem. Okay, this is going to give me, um, since we're getting toward the end of the program, let me catch up on some emails uh, that we have uh, about uh, uh, your your being here today. And one of them has to do with, uh, <clears throat> I have a relative who um, we think has Alzheimer's and is having money problems, writing checks and having people call them for money and going on the net and getting giving money away and stuff like that. Uh, who refuses to admit that she has any problems, how do I get her to somebody uh, to care when she refuses to uh, acknowledge she has a problem? Usually a good place to start is with primary care doctor, and they often will then refer on to, they may refer directly to a neuropsychologist for that kind of objective assessment. They may refer to a geriatric specialist, a physician, mm-hmm. uh, who may do their workup, but also request a neuropsychologist to get that additional data that helps them with their decision making. But and here's a related uh, email. And this one, this one is about sort of a similar situation. <clears throat> this is a, um, a caller who um, writes that. Uh, I want to get a limited power of attorney for health care on my mother, who's in her late 80s, who isn't thinking well, and she refuses uh, to sign the paperwork that I got from the lawyer. What do I do about that? Do I, do I try to trick her into sign, signing it or what? I, I would advise against the trickery. Uh, I, if you can't convince the person, this is why when I talk to families who have elderly relatives, or if I see the elderly relative and they simply have, say, a mild cognitive impairment, I will tell them now is the time to plan for the eventuality. So pick somebody you want to manage your affairs and put that down in writing so that when it comes to that, you know that you have designated that person. Otherwise, you wait until late in the game, and then it may take a court order to compel somebody to have that kind of evaluation. So the court then has the responsibility of establishing and competency. We've had some elder attorneys on here who have addressed that, and they've said the same thing you do. Yourself, you ought to do it uh, for your family, or if you're a family member and somebody's not doing you ought to ask for it. Mm-hmm. Tina, we recovered your phone call. It's like just rediscovering your computer lost information. Uh, what was your question? Uh, are you referring to Tina and Brandon? That's uh, you. Okay, right. <laughs> um, you answered some of my questions. My my concern is about anger management with mm-hmm. a family member. Yeah, uh, it, it's almost destroying his family, and uh, I, I don't know the proper person to get him to see. Well, why don't you stay on the line for just a minute, and Doctor Manning will take that call. We addressed a little bit of that, but he he'll talk to you for a minute and get that straight. Because we're flat out of time. So hang on the line. He'll be with you in just a minute. You've been listening to Southern Remedy, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical.